midst of your storm, there is a God who sees your every moment and knows exactly what you are going through. And you are not forgotten. You are not alone. And he will never abandon you. And the pain that you feel now and the things you're going through right now that hurt so much and you just don't know how you're going to get through, God's got this. Even if it doesn't feel like it right now, even if everything that your eyes are seeing are telling you there's no way out, God has this. My name is Brittany Curtis, and I am so excited about this episode. This is going to be a little bit of a different episode than the last one. We've got a few good times, a few more bad times coming, but wanted to hop right into it. Thank you so much for joining me today. We've got a really pretty day that I'm recording here in Tennessee, and I hope that you're enjoying the spring weather as it comes and goes. So we went through my parents' divorce and Kathy having paranoid schizophrenia, Kathy being my biological mother. They got divorced. Uh, My father wanted me to have a mother that I could do mother-daughter things with and be a good female role model for me, an influencer. So he married his old high school sweetheart and she became Cruella DeVille or the evil stepmother. So I endured that for a few years. I was nine when they got married. And she went from being the nice, thoughtful, sweet fiance to literally wicked stepmother. A few years go by, and that's where my story left off last time. We're going to talk a little bit more about my mother because we didn't talk about her a lot last episode. Um, I didn't want to overlap timelines. That can get a little bit messy and confusing. So whenever dad married Moira, my mom was still living close to St. Louis City. I'm sorry, close in the St. Louis suburbs. She moved closer, so she'd be closer to me. That way we wouldn't have so far to drive in between, and she could be closer if there was an emergency and just wanted to be close and not so far away. So she moved to a cheaper apartment, which was good for her because it wasn't so much, and the apartment we were at was kind of bougie. It was a really nice complex. So this was a step down as far as being um, fancy or nicer or having more to offer the residents, but it was closer, so that worked out. She moved into a one-bedroom apartment, which was kind of weird for me. I'd always been used to having my own room, and this only had one bedroom, so whenever I went with her on the weekends, she slept on the couch and I got the bed. And she let me hang up a Backstreet Boy poster, and she let me hang up an InSync poster. It was a nice complex in that it was safe, it was in a good neighborhood, It had a pool, which was really important to me because I loved to swim when I was little. And it was next to a major walking trail. So we could walk maybe a quarter of a mile down the street and we could go through a little patch of grass and go on to a major walking trail in St. Louis. So we did that a lot. This was kind of a weird home for me um, because I was getting older and noticing how bad off she was mentally. She would do things, she would say things, and I knew at that age that it just wasn't quite right. She was more like a teenager. She had the mentality of like maybe a 15, 16 year old, and she thought the Backstreet Boys were cute. She thought NSYNC was cute, and I'm only in like fourth, fifth grade, so of course I think they're like the older boys that are cute, but she thought they were the younger boys that were cute, and just the jokes she would say, the humor that she had. Um, Her logic a lot of times, she would do things that I knew they weren't quite right or that there was a better way to do it, but I'm still a child, so I didn't know the correct way to do it or why it was the wrong way. 
I just thought everything she did was kind of weird and getting weirder by the month. Church had always been so important to her. She wanted me to be in church whenever I was with her. So she found a really good church. She went for a while and I would go with her on weekends every other Sunday. She got to where she would just start dropping me off on Wednesday nights. She didn't go in. She would just drop me off and I would go and she would pick me up. And that kind of hurt me a little bit because I really wanted her to be in church and I knew she was hurting and I knew she needed some spiritual guidance at least once a week. And on Sundays she stopped going as well. So I would go with her every weekend, every other weekend, and I'd be with Dad and Moira the other weekends. And she just couldn't keep a job. So we stopped going out, we stopped eating out, we stopped doing a lot of things. Money got really super tight. And she was just pinching corners every little bit. And I'm still to this day, I don't know how necessary that all was or if there could have been other things that were cut instead of the things that she decided to cut from our lives, which, I mean, looking back as an adult, I can kind of see where money gets tight and you make changes. But as a kid, I just noticed everything was changing all the time and we just kept getting less and less and less normalcy in our home. So eventually she did move out. I didn't go with her for a few weekends because she was trying to find a new place to live. She was trying to figure everything out. So I was staying with Dad and Moira a lot more, which meant I was alone with Moira on Saturdays since Dad worked. So it was just kind of, it was difficult. It was difficult to be with her all day on a sun, Saturday while Dad worked. And she just kind of picked on me. And that was a me and Moira day, which were never good. So then Kathy finally found somewhere to live. But it was with a bunch of college kids, older college kids. She must have been in her early 30s, maybe 30, 31. Um, she was not 32 yet. But she lived with a house full of older college kids. And she lived in the basement. That was the only place she could find. So as a child, I didn't really know how she found those places, how she was connected. She just gave Dad an address, and we showed up there. To my knowledge, I'm sure knowing Dad, he did a a map quest for the information of the neighborhood and different aspects of where she was sending him. When she was at this particular house, I never spent the night with her. I would go for maybe the whole day or maybe just a few hours, whatever her schedule was, whatever the schedule of the college kids were, and I would just go there for a few hours and not spend the night. It just wasn't feasible and it wasn't safe, really, because, I mean, she didn't really know these kids well. They didn't really know her, and they partied sometimes, so she didn't want me around that, which I was thankful for. So we went there, and we had Christmas there. All the college students left the house or were with family of their own, and she and I had a good Christmas there. She left there for whatever reason, and then she went and moved in with her brother. Her brother lived close to where our original home church is, 65 miles-ish south of St. Louis City, and she had a piano gig. She had gotten a job with a mall for one night only to play piano and sing and be the night's entertainment. That job was going to happen in the middle of the summer. So this was the beginning of summer that she moved in with her brother. And it was tight quarters anyway, but it was nice to see that part of the family because I hadn't seen them in a while and I definitely hadn't spent much time with them since we did live so far apart. And Kathy loved the city. She wanted bigger and better and brighter for herself, so she left the country life. And all summer, for at least for that first part of summer, all she did was practice her piano and sing. 
And I'm sure this mall gig did not pay well. This is a one night cocktail piano gig. So it's not long term. It's not going to pay much. But she put her heart and soul into this. She wanted to be discovered. She wanted somebody to hear her sing, hear her play, and give her a record deal or put her on TV or something. She wanted to get her name out there. So she didn't try to get a job. She didn't try to do all the normal things you would do. And I'm sure they felt sorry for her, so they didn't really push her, whatever the situation was. There again, I was a kid. I didn't pick up on a lot of those things. But whenever I'd be over there every other weekend, it just hurt because she literally didn't spend much time with me. We might watch a movie at night. We might go somewhere to the store or grocery shopping or something. But we didn't spend a lot of time together that first part of summer. And her family started noticing and they started giving her nice soft hints. And no, 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 I've got this piano thing I'm, I'm doing. And she would practice all day long. And it finally got to the point where I wasn't seeing her hardly at all. Um, Just less and less and less the closer this got. So they finally got mad with her. And they're like, listen, your kid is here. You need to spend time with her. We don't mind her being here. But we feel like she's here for you. And you're the one that's not spending time with her. She's spending time with everybody else. So they got into a big fight. Because Kathy didn't like that. Kathy was focused on her piano. Kathy was focused on her own thing. She's going to get discovered. And once she gets discovered, it's going to be all okay for us. That's kind of where her head was at. And that's where her head was always at, looking for the next big thing to make everything else okay. Not realizing if she would take her medicine, if she would take her paranoid schizophrenic medicine and see a counselor and do other helpful things, then everything would be much, much better. But that's not how she saw things. They get in a big fight and she left there. Dad and Moira came and picked me up while all the drama was happening. So next, Kathy moves in with my granny with dad's mom they had a really good relationship whenever dad and mom were married and granny adored her and wanted to help and it would help me to be able to see her so that was the big thing for gran was if she had kathy then i could still see her and it was also nice because everybody knew kathy was getting worse mentally everybody knew that she was just getting out there and her common sense was gone Her rational thought was gone. Her processing was gone. Like, it was getting really, really bad. She was just very unpredictable. So, I would be with my mother, but also kind of be supervised by Gran. So, Gran could keep an eye on Kathy. There again, kind of the same thing happened. That was the second part of the summer that she lived with Gran. And it was good for a little while. But there again, she kind of started pushing me off and pushing me off. And she just stayed in her room a lot. Now, looking back, she was probably really depressed. She felt like a terrible mother. She had pride issues. She had a lot of things on her mind that I couldn't understand at that time, but she was handling it the wrong way. And she was prideful and she didn't want to ask for help. And she definitely didn't want people to think she was crazy. Um, so she started just blocking me from her room and started wanting to spend her own time or wanting to go do her own thing and leave me with Gran. And I'm super duper close with my grandmother, so I didn't mind spending the time with Gran, but I'm here to spend time with my mother. So it kind of led into the same thing. She pushed me away, and that day I was just really wanting to spend time with her, and she didn't really want anything to do with me. So me and her started getting in a fight. Well, Granny got in it, and she started telling Kathy, she's here for you. And my mother literally looked at me and said, why do you need me? You've got Gran. Well, that just burned me up. Like, I was 11 years old, 
And that just tore me up. And I started crying and Granny heard it and she thought that was awful. And her, her and Mom started having it out. So Granny called Dad. Dad came pick me up. We drove around and had some processing time. And Kathy left there. There again for another few weeks. I didn't see her because she was looking for a place to live. And she was looking for a place to get settled to where I could come and visit her. Um, then she moved with an older guy. He was, I don't know how they met. I don't know what the arrangement was, but we spent that Thanksgiving with him at his house. He, he was offering, or he was letting her stay in his spare room. We went out for a meal. We didn't have a proper Thanksgiving lunch, but he was a Shriner and he was trying to do good and help her. She lived there for maybe two or three months. Then in the spring, she lived in another guy's house. He was middle-aged. House was not very far from where Dad and Moira lived. And he was kind of renovating it, doing some updates on it, and letting Kathy stay there while he worked on it. And I think I slept on the couch, and she slept on a sleeping bag and kind of a pad on the floor. I remember being at that house whenever we went to the mall, and we hadn't been to the mall in a while. Um, she couldn't go to the mall without spending money, so she stayed away from the mall when she got really, really poor. And there, of course, was a Disney store, and I loved Disney, and I had to go to the Disney store. And the last thing she ever bought me was a stuffed Tigger doll. And it was cute, and it was just fuzzy, and it kind of made me have, like, a security blanket. And she wanted me to leave Tigger at her house, and I wanted to take him home, but she was afraid that if I took him to Dad's house, and she would never... I would never have it for her house, and she wanted me to have, like, a security blanket thing there. So she she let me, or she got the Tigger for me, and then she kept it there at the house. And then she gave the phone call that she wasn't going to be at that house anymore. Apparently, her and the guy had it out about something really bad, and she left, and whenever she left, he got rid of most of her stuff, and he got rid of my Tigger doll, and she lost everything like all the physical things that she had been taking from place to place every time she moved she'd been boxing things up and she'd been keeping most of her important stuff with her but that time she lost everything and by then her mental state is just absolutely trash like she can't hold a job at all she was wearing all different kinds of shirts she would come in a Popeye's chicken shirt one day and then a Burger King shirt the next day and a Domino shirt another day and her hair was just different styles and falling out and she, her paranoia was getting very very bad she would always look over her shoulder she was double checking everything trying to make sure people weren't after her or, or messing her over or trying to pull one on her if she was trying to pay for something or if she was just doing anything the paranoia was just getting so so bad at that time, I didn't know it, but she had been drinking. She had started drinking a little bit to keep the voices down. A lot of schizophrenics, when they don't want to medicate with real medicine, they will self-medicate with alcohol. Apparently, alcohol really keeps the voices down or at bay. So she was doing that, and we started meeting at places in public. So we'd go to parks, or we'd meet at movie theaters, or we would meet at the mall, or we'd meet at restaurants or we would meet somewhere out in public we never met at another house again. I knew it was because she didn't really have a place to stay or place to go. I did not know because she was actual homeless. Um, I don't know why I didn't put it together. I don't know why I didn't ask. But 
either she was just moving around, moving house to house, or she was living in shelters at that time. Her sense of humor was just, you couldn't follow it. It didn't make sense. And her teeth were starting to rot. She wasn't spending a lot of money. If we would go anywhere, we would spend as little money as possible. We'd usually split one combo if we went out to eat at a fast food place. And just her mind was always somewhere else. So it came to Mother's Day 2002. I was 12. I had just turned 12 in October, so I was about 12 and a half, I guess. And we were supposed to meet at the mall. She always had some kind of prepaid track phone with her, so I could always get in touch with her throughout all this time. And so Dad takes me to the mall, and we meet where we're supposed to meet at the right entrance, and we wait. And we wait, and we wait, and we wait, and finally she's late by an hour. And I've been trying to call her track phone. We've even been walking around the mall for her, thinking maybe she left her phone and didn't know where we were. We made up every excuse in the book, and like two hours go by, and we can't get a hold of her. And of course, at school, you make all the Mother's Day things. So I had like a little bag full of Mother's Day things, and Dad probably took me and got her a little special something. He always did. And we just couldn't find her. And we didn't hear from her the next week or the next week or the next week. And Moira's kids were going to their dads every other weekend. And sometimes I would go to Granny's on the weekend. And sometimes I would stay home with Dad and Moira. And I just felt so much rejection. I was afraid for her. I didn't know where she was. I didn't know if I had done anything. I didn't know if I had hurt her feelings. Or if just I was too much to handle. Or if... Like, I didn't know what. I, I couldn't rationalize it in my mind. So finally, about midsummer, so that was May, so maybe end of July, early August, I get an email. Hello from Indiana. So she is completely out of the state. I haven't heard from her in three or four months. She's Indiana. Her and dad talk on the phone a little bit here and there, but he, I don't know. She it just kind of made her... It just kind of felt like she was there. She didn't want to be here and she didn't want to see me. I don't know if she had a home in Indiana. I don't know if she was homeless in Indiana. I don't know if she was living with people or had met somebody. I have no idea what happened in Indiana. All I knew is she had left. She didn't want to be here and she had abandoned me without saying goodbye. And that just, it was traumatic. Point blank, it was traumatic. So I get that one email. I email her back. Over and over and over, I don't hear from her from another few months. So I don't remember exactly the timeline, but a few months later, I get an email from her saying that she's in Colorado. Now, this makes sense because my family, my dad's family, always went to Colorado for their summer vacations, remember? So she had a lot of good memories in Colorado, and she liked Colorado, and it was so pretty, and she kind of knew her way around the state a little bit, and she had always wanted to move there, so she moved there. And there again, it was, in my mind, the only thought I could think was she had to come really close to Missouri to get from Indiana to Colorado, and she didn't even try to come see me. So as a 12-year-old, I was very angered. I was very frustrated. I was hurt. I felt betrayed. I felt like I had no worth. I felt like I wasn't good enough, that she didn't want me, just tons of rejection issues. So from then on, it was just kind of no mom which was really hard because there again, her kids went, Moira's kids went to their dads on the weekends and it got to where Moira was being a jerk and wouldn't let me go to Granny's on the weekends a lot of times. She wanted me home. They only lived 30, 20 minutes away. It wouldn't have been a big deal, but 
she knew that that was something I wanted to do, so she was going to keep me from doing it. So then with Moira, so Kathy's gone, dad's kind of brainwashed, Moira hates me, I hate her at this point, um, I don't see a way out, and I start just getting so suicidal, and I just start getting so angry and frustrated and feeling lost and hopeless, and we have friends at church, and I want to talk to them, but they've, they've known Moira and her family longer than I have, and everybody thinks she's just this great person and this great mother, and all of her kids and I know that she's not. And anytime us kids try to talk to another adult, they didn't believe us or they push us aside. I finally came to what I call my D-Day. And that was the day that I stood up for myself and I ultimately got out of there. And I remember every detail of this day. And I remember the parts before the important parts. Like just the whole day is ingrained in my head. And I don't know why I remember the other parts. So it's December 21st, 2004. I had just turned 15 in middle of October. I hated life. I had thought about cutting myself. I had thought about getting a job to get away from there. I thought about every possible thing you can think about whenever you're a teenager and you need to get out of the house that you're living in. What friends could I live with? What friends would take me in? What What parents of the friends would take me in? It was just so, so bad and it just kept getting worse. And I was literally just about ready to give up hope because I'd asked to live with Gran over and over and over. And dad kept saying, we're family and you wanted to live with me. And here you are. And you're my daughter. And we worked so hard to be together. And I would tell him, yeah, but we're not really together. Like you can barely look at me and just different things. It was really complicated. So I get up and it's that day is the last day of school before Christmas break. And it's only going to be a half day. So the plan was me go to school, come back, call Gran, and then go to Gran's house for a few days because the kids were going to be picked up by their, their father. So I was supposed to be gone if they were going to be gone. So go to school, and I just remember details of that day. We were just playing around, and my girlfriends and I had extra fun in computer class. We learned how to type messages to each other and send them. And then I got home, and the first thing I did a lot of days was come home and check my email to see if Kathy had left me a message. Now she had already been gone for two and a half years, but I still liked to check a few times a week. So I got on there and I emailed her and I told her it's Christmas break and da 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 da. And here comes Moira. Everybody needs to clean their rooms before they leave. Okay, that's not a big deal. So everybody starts cleaning their room. Well, she has me start doing stuff on the side. Brittany, put dishes away. Okay. Go do dishes, clean my room. Brittany, you need to dust this room. Okay, and then I come back. And then it was Brittany, do the laundry. Well, her kids were all cleaning their room, and I'm trying to clean my room, but I'm getting all these extra jobs. And I don't remember her kids getting extra jobs that day. But I remember specifically being targeted. Like, I knew that I was getting more work than anybody else. Now, keep in mind that my stepsister and I were sharing a bedroom, and it was a rather small bedroom. And you really just have a path through the room between the bed and there's a walking path between the bed and dressers and chest of drawers and closets and whatever. So there's not a whole lot of walking room. There's also not a lot of room to put your stuff. So to keep organized, I would put a few things under my bed, but they were in very strategic places and it wasn't just throwing it under the bed. It was very organized under the bed. 
I still had the furniture that I had whenever I moved in at nine years old and I'd collected a lot and especially since Kathy wasn't there everything I collected was at the house with dad and Moira. I didn't have another house to take my stuff to. So I clean up the room. I've done all the chores that she said and then she looks under my bed and she said your room's not clean. Look at all this junk under the bed and I said well I've got stuff put in a good place. It's all organized. Like it's, it's okay. Oh no, no, you need to find stuff for this. And if you can't find anything, if you can't find anywhere for it to go, then it just needs to be thrown out because you have too much stuff. The problem wasn't me having too much stuff. The problem was me not having enough places to put stuff. I'm frustrated because she's trying to throw away stuff. And over the years she had thrown away so many valuable keepsakes. We went to Walt Disney World, for example. And I outgrew the shirt that I had worn because it had been several years and she made me throw away the shirt and I had kept the shirt as a keepsake because we were too poor to go to Disney World. So that was a really big deal to get to go. Um, And she made me get rid of that shirt. She made me get rid of special souvenirs or she just things would go missing out of my room. So she drags all the stuff out from under my bed and tells me to find somewhere to put it. Well, while I'm doing that, the buzzer for the dryer goes off. And she's upstairs, we're on the main floor, and the laundry is in the basement. So from upstairs, she yells, Brittany, the dryer went off. I did something I had never done in seven years. I spoke up for myself. I said, I heard it. Well, the whole house goes quiet because you did not make Moira mad. You did not backtalk her. You did not sass her. You did not say anything to go against her to cause conflict. She would make your life absolutely miserable. I covered that, I think, in the previous podcast. If, if you made her life just a little bit hard for one second, she would punish you the rest of the week. And that's just the way things were and everybody knew it. So for me to scream back at her like that, my stepsister just looked at me kind of bug-eyed like, what are you doing? Like you're asking to be tortured. So I went on down and as I'm going down the steps of the basement, I can hear Moira coming downstairs. And she comes down to the basement and she said, what did you say? And I said, I heard the buzzer go off. And she said, are you back talking me? I said, no, I'm standing up for myself. I'm tired of you treating me like this. Treating you like what? You know that I'm doing all this work. You're picking on me and I'm tired of it. I'm tired of you treating me like this. She had no idea what to say to me. And I had, no, I had no clue how these words were coming out of my mouth. I had been so meek, so mild. I'd been just quiet and taken everything she had given me for so long. So she doesn't know what to say. So she goes back on upstairs. Well, I'm folding up laundry thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. Like I just literally shot myself in the foot. And she comes back down and she says, Brady, do you need any help? I said, don't call me that. You know I hate you calling me that. I've asked you so many times not to call me that. Only my dad can call me that. And me and her start kind of going at it. So she starts telling me, I'm the adult, you're the child, and da-da-da-da-da. And I I just keep standing up for myself. And one line I can remember, her asking if I needed help. And I said, you haven't done a single thing in seven years to help me. In fact, you've done everything you could to make my life hell in seven years. So no, I can do this. I don't need your help. And at 
that was another time she just went upstairs. She had no idea what to say to me. I don't know if she was like about to kill me or if she was just enraged or if she was afraid. I have no idea, but I felt so powerful. I felt so proud of myself. I just felt like, like just a a boldness rise up over me that I had never felt before that I had never even dared dream was within me. And I stood up for myself. She didn't want me to go to Grand's that afternoon. So I stayed there and um, I had a piano lesson that night. Dad came home from work, changed clothes, and took me to piano lesson. And on the way there, I told him everything that had happened, detailed, about what had happened that afternoon. We got to the piano lesson place, and we're walking around, and I'm just still, like, so frustrated. I'm just so, just hyped up. And I finally look at him, and I say, listen, if you don't do something soon, I'm not going to be around. Like, I'm not going to be here. Um, that was the only way that I knew how to tell him I'm thinking about suicide. I could not say the words. I couldn't even think about telling him point blank, but just, I hoped that he knew what I was saying. And I think he did. So I'm still all upset. Whenever my piano lesson ends, dad takes me to granny's house and he drops me off, says he'll be back. He goes back to Moira's house. The kids go to their dad's. And he comes back about nine o'clock and I just told granny everything and I'm in my room writing or doing painting or drawing or something. I'm just decompressing in a creative outlet, which I always did at her house. And dad comes in and I can hear granny say, DJ, she's not going back. And I heard my dad say, I know. And at that moment, I knew things were going to change. I knew it was going to be different. And I knew that I didn't have to go back. So he comes into my room and and I'm begging him, Daddy, please don't make me go back. Please don't make me go back. And he's like, well, I'm not going to make you go back. And I said, yeah, but you've said that before. And you've you've let me leave. And and a week later, I have to come back. And you always talk me into coming back. But I'm not coming back. I'm not going back there. It's too awful. I can't handle it. And he let me live there. This was super bittersweet because all the friends that I had had at that time were from that school. I'd been with these kids since fourth grade. These were my best friends. These were the people that I thought I'd be friends with the rest of my life. Um, I was really heavily involved with the music program and the, the choir band teacher knew that I was leaving and he said, please don't leave. He said, you've got three more years. If you can just suck this up for three more years, you've got a free ride music scholarship to any state college you want. And I told him, I said, I can't make it another three months. This is just kind of where my life is right now. And I didn't give him details, but that was a really, really big risk that I took. And it really stunk because her daughter and I had become such great friends since that magical night. And we had had a relationship change that we were becoming really, really good friends and we liked being around each other and I was going to miss her like to get that close to somebody so quick and then have to leave. I remember that Christmas when Christmas finally did come, I went back to Moira's house for that one day. She just watched me pack my stuff up and she looked at me and she said, please don't go. And I said, I have to, you know, I have to, if you had the chance to go, you would go, wouldn't you? And she said, yeah, but I don't, and we need to stick together, and and I don't want to be here without you, and it was just a really hard time to leave, but it was what I needed to do. It was what I needed to do for myself. It's what I needed to do 
to be my best person, and I know people talk about being your very best, but literally a life of depression, a life of despair, a life of just hopelessness, it's not about just living your best. It's about being a person you can live with. And I was not a person I could live with. I didn't want to be depressed. I didn't want to be down and defeated all the time. I needed a fresh start no matter what. Even if it meant cutting all ties and never looking back, I had to have a fresh start. Dad comes over like every night after work. He doesn't go to Moira's house. He comes to Granny's house. So we started building our relationship back. And then it was a matter of, well, I'm out. Are you going to be out? Are you going to leave her? Because things were terrible for him too, obviously. Um, I'm not going to tell his part of it, but it was mentally abusive. It was psychological control. It was a relationship with a narcissist, but with kids involved. And he had a, he felt a great responsibility for his for the kids and for me. And he also felt a responsibility as a husband, but that's all his side of everything. So then I just kept thinking, man, I wish he would leave. I wish he would leave and then we could be together and we could move to the, the family town that's far away from the city and everything would be okay. Time goes by and he just keeps spending more and more time and him and Moira's relationship gets even worse than it was before. Um, they fought constantly when I was there, so I can only imagine how bad it was after I left. Um, some traumatic events go on, or some big events go on that lead up to him leaving. We were living at Granny's house together, and it was so amazing, like, just to have him back and to see him have that freedom and me have that freedom, and then the next thing was, where do we go from here? Um, I'm not a materialistic person, but there again, I hadn't had anything to myself since I moved there. I hadn't got anything nice that wasn't taken away or wasn't bashed over my head in some way or another. If my family, like uncle or aunt, even got me nice clothes, Moira would turn around and go get her kids nice clothes, and I wouldn't get anything just to keep things fair, but she would do it in a very, very damaging way, and quite frankly, most of my clothes were hand-me-downs. Dad got me my first cell phone, and I got a laptop computer for school. I got hugs, and I got kisses, and we got time together, and we had all these things that had been taken away from us. Built back the relationship we had. Kathy started calling a little bit that spring of 2005. In March, uh, Dad took a week off work, I took a week off school, and he actually flew me to Denver, Colorado to spend a week with Kathy. And it was good to see her and just kind of see where she wound up and who she was now. And I had her in my mind as she's all better now and she's out somewhere and she's got a place to stay and she's not homeless anymore and she's got a job. And whenever we got up there to visit her, she was still in a really, really bad mental state. And she was living in a really, really crappy place that I'm pretty sure was government-assisted for mental or um, low-income people. She was still making really bad decisions. Um, one time we were on a bus, and there again, it's Denver, Colorado. I'm 15. I have no idea where I am. She's my mom. And there were two seats on the bus, one at the back of the bus and one on the front of the bus. She walked me to the back of the bus and said, all right, you sit here and I'm going to sit up there. And she left me. Like, there's no reason she couldn't have, like, stood there or, I don't know, like, she just loved me and it was, like, really freaking me out. But we went to art museums and we did make some memories. She looked a lot better 
physically. She had gained a little bit of weight. Her hair was a normal color. It wasn't shamrock green or platinum blonde. After I kind of spent a few days with her, I realized she's still really, really bad off. And you're better off not being with her. You're better off not visiting her. If this is the way she wants it, clearly she's fine not seeing you. So just go with it. We spent about three or four days in Denver with Kathy. And then him and I went to um, different parts of Colorado for the next maybe another four or five days. And we went to Colorado Springs, which I love Colorado Springs. We went to Boulder. We drove around just a lot. And he rented my favorite car. We had a bright cherry red 2004 Mustang. Mustangs are my favorite car. So that was cool. And that trip, we just really got to know each other again. That was the first amount of time that we had spent just him and I. Um, even with Granny, Granny was still part of our dynamic at home after he moved in. And this was just a really fun trip of getting to do things and getting all the attention and not having to worry about Moira calling or Moira ruining it. It was just me and my dad again. And this trip really solidified who we could be without all the other crazy factors we'd been living with for the last several years. And I was older and he was older. Um, I think we had changed as people anyway, regardless of the craziness. And now it was just kind of getting to know each other at present. Who is Brittany at 15? Who is DJ at whatever age he was? Who are we both without all the craziness, without all the stress, without all the depression, without the madness that we had just lived through? Like, who are we now after coming out of all of that? Deep down, we were still that little girl and her daddy that we had been that night before Chuck E. Cheese. It was so good just to hear him laugh and to have intimate conversations and to have hugs and to have little jokes again and to be laughing and our special moments not being cut short. That just happened so much. Moira tried so hard to keep us apart and now there was nothing keeping us apart and the world was ours and it was a fresh start for both of us. It was the beginning of a new season, which we both were desperate for. Getting our relationship back meant everything to both of us. It wasn't just me wanting our relationship back with him. He wanted that same relationship back with me and we had to leave Moira's tower of terror to get there. On the way there and on the way back was my first time in the plane, so that was another first, and I loved taking off. I loved that first big uh, horizontal shift whenever the plane kind of does a half turn to get in the right direction. That was so thrilling, and getting to experience that just with Dad with no other distractions and us having that special moment, and then coming back to Missouri was a really, really good trip. And the travel was fun. It was the first trip either of us had taken that didn't have fights the whole way and just constant stress of what's going to happen next or what's going to be the next big battle. And when we got home, we were both just so refreshed and ready to take on life. That was really the start of our chapter two, what comes next after seven years of hell on earth. And when we got back, it was okay. This is this is how things are going to be from now on. And we started looking for places to live. And my cousin just happened to be building a spec home in the city where all of our family lived on Granny's side. So we got to build that house from the bottom to the finished product. We got to pick out the wallpaper. We got to pick out the, the paint colors. We got to pick out the doorknobs and the fixtures and everything. Like We got to pick out the carpet. 
even a little bit of room remodeling from what the original plans were, and we got to build our own house. And just the way the money worked out and the way the timing worked out, we got to move into a brand new home in the same town as all of our family, all of Granny's family, that Easter. So it was just an amazing time of life where everything was new, everything was exciting. It was just rivers of refreshing water. Um, going back to church, we started going back to our church, our home home church. That felt so good. Um, they had just built a new building recently, so it was a new building there, and youth group was growing, so I was meeting new friends and connecting with old cousins that I used, used to spend a lot of time with. I was getting to spend time with them again, just seeing cousins. My, let's see, his first cousins, my second cousins are more like aunts and uncles to me. So their kids, which are my third cousins, are more like brothers and sisters that you just don't live with. And that was solidified after we moved as well. I'd been close with them before, so reconnecting with them meant a lot. And being teenagers, we all had our own cars and we all had our own different quirks and different activities that we would do and get in trouble with. And just being a teenager with them was something I never thought I would get to enjoy and something I never thought I would get to experience, especially for as long as I had it. So it was just the beginning of a brand new season for us. I will forever be grateful to the Lord for that. That's a huge part of my testimony is just moving from that dark season into such light and joy and just peace. The house we lived in, I know this sounds crazy. Maybe some people can relate. So if we were quiet and the house was very, very still, maybe we were both reading or maybe we were both on our computers or something, you could just hear like this little faint music. It sounded like somebody maybe in the next house had classical music blaring or maybe some kind of soft rock going on. It was just very, very quiet. And Dad always said that was heaven's music because that house was just filled with so much peace and joy. And we were both right where, where we needed to be with God, getting closer to God every day and just thanking him constantly for all of his blessings he had poured out to us. And that was just a really, really good time that was probably the best time of my life was the next few years but we'll get back into that so if you do have that season I keep talking about these hard seasons or the storm seasons that was the end of my really bad storm season um I had one more that I'm going to share but that was the one that really changed who I was standing up to Moira and recreating who I wanted to be and going after that I'm going to say a quick prayer with you and encourage you that if you are going through that tough season, that next chapter is so sweet. Even if you can't imagine what it's going to be like, even if you can't picture your life without all the garbage and trash and things you're struggling with now, fight for that next season. That next season is what life is all about. That next season is the goodness of God just poured out every single day. I know that we had blessings, new mercies, and just good things that just kept happening for a season. And God can do the same thing. God wants to do that same thing with you. So please don't give up. And if you are in that season where you just came through something difficult and now you're celebrating and things just keep falling into place, spread the news. Share that with somebody else who's struggling. Encourage them not to give up. God encourages us to not give up and we need to encourage each other not to give up. Just testimonies of going from darkness to light. That's everybody has that testimony at some point in their life. Even if you're not a Christian, you've had a time where you have just been at your total bottom down and out, bottom of the barrel, and then things turned around. 
So share that. That's that's a story worth sharing, even if you've already been through your tough season and your good season and you're going through another tough season. There's another, there's another season of just glory. We move from mountains to mountains, and in between are those valleys. But the view from the mountaintop is a wonderful view, and it's well worth the wait. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the viewers and the listeners, and I pray that you would just strengthen them, that they would not give up hope, and they would fight for that next season, God. The next season of freedom, of new beginnings, of fresh starts, is so full of your love and grace. And we get our right minds back, and we get our health back sometimes, and sometimes we get back things that we lost, Father. And I pray that for those who are just struggling right now, God, that you would give them back what they've lost and more that you would lead them, that you would guide them to the very next step, even if it means cutting ties, if it means leaving everything they know, God. I pray that you would give them the strength and the courage to just drop it all and follow you, God, because where you have us going, the path that you make for us is clear, and it is the right path for us, Lord, even if we can't see it in that very beginning. And I pray that you would just help us all. I want to say a special prayer for Ukraine, God. Help them right now going through these uncertain days of war, Lord, that you would just turn this storm for their good and that you would make the right things happen, Father, for them. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining. It would mean everything to me if you would leave a comment or a review or maybe share a few sentences of your testimony. Let me know what God's been doing for you lately or let me know about that season where things just started all over and it felt like a dead garden coming back to life. Let me know about that in the comments or reviews. Have a great day and we'll see you next time. Thanks.